Welcome to my podcast, Ayurvedic Healing and Beyond, and it's your host, Dr. Vignesh Devraj. And today, I welcome back Nidhi Pandya again after her fantastic hit episode with her on Ayurvedic Immunity Boosting Checklist. In that, I got really fantastic feedbacks, and I'm looking forward to have her again in this podcast. And Nidhi, to just to give you a brief introduction, she's an Ayurvedic practitioner with origins from India, and her grandfather is an Ayurvedic healer. And she got into Ayurveda purely with her interest and into healing. And she runs various workshops around the world. And she also writes in various uh, articles in many magazines. And uh, also, one thing that I always saw in the post that she puts, it's very original, authentic. And she researched the authentic textbooks of Ayurveda. It makes it so easy for the modern man to understand what is written. And one post that literally caught my attention was a post which she talking about Ayurveda beyond Kichari and turmeric. So I invited her again for a podcast to discuss about this because as an Ayurvedic doctor where so many Westerners come to my retreat, Sitaram Beach retreat, I hear and sometimes it's a bit um, interviewing to keep people saying, okay, what about Kichari? What about turmeric? And when I tell them there is, there is a life beyond that, it's only the tip of the iceberg. And uh, then people understand there is much more to Ayurveda, it's a philosophy. So here I invite Nidhi Pandya to discuss about this concept, Ayurveda beyond Kichari and Turmeric. So welcome back Nidhi Pandya, so happy to have you again here. No, I'm always happy to be here discussing great things with a great mind, so thank you. And I really like the latest post that you made, Ayurveda will rip off that band-aid and force your wounds to heal. It will make you whole again. That's such a profound, that talks about the real essence of Ayurveda when you compare it with the band-aid solutions that we are having today. Yeah, absolutely. So grateful to have found this journey. So Nidhi, now let's talk about Ayurveda beyond Kichari and Turmeric. So what would be the first thing that you would say, which, what is beyond Kichari and Turmeric in your uh, as, as you are an Ayurvedic practitioner, you speak to people about bringing awareness about the potential of Ayurveda and their healing. So what's the next thing that you wish people were aware beyond Kichari and Turmeric? So, of course, right, uh, Dr. Vinish, there's a lot of practices that are kind of misused and abused because I find that people think Ayurveda is this mystical science full of prescriptions and practices these magical herbs and various practices that you can use and then suddenly discover health. The truth is Ayurveda is about principles. It's really about those principles that allow you to break down your body and understand what's going on inside. Once you can demystify your body using those principles, then what you need to use from that whole a la carte menu of prescriptions and practices becomes obvious to you. But to go and pick those prescriptions or practices without understanding the behind the scenes in your body is kind of misleading. And I feel like that's the formula that's being used today. So the first thing that I would ask people to do is if you want to get on the Ayurvedic journey, first honor the circadian rhythm or how the universe works. That's basically a very big part of what Ayurveda is built on. That's such a, uh, yes, go ahead. Yeah, no, yeah, basically, that's the first thing that I would ask people to do because it's a very simple thing to inculcate and the results are really huge. Uh, I think our biggest challenge here is to 
convince them how important this is because people think okay this we know and uh, what's a big deal maybe i'll try it for one or two days and they expect the changes are not happening and so they give up this is what i see it's happening so i think our challenge is to explain them this has to be your default habits circadian rhythm is something that is we cannot miss it and if you miss that rhythm then there is no healer or no medicine can change that i think that's what the ayurveda is telling that is something it's like a no compromise zone absolutely that's no compromise zone that's so well said everything else you can compromise on but you can't compromise on it it's like swimming against the tide in a rough ocean you know that's when you are swimming with the tide you're allowing the universe is allowing your body to help you mm-hmm. with certain functions at certain times in the day i mean your workers in your body are out all your cells and enzymes are ready to help you with that with that task and if you choose to not do it at that time then it's just a shame it's just you know it's sorry for your body exactly i think instead of fighting against the tide it's so easy to go with the flow that's what ayurveda talks about enjoy the flow and enjoy the ride when you go with the nature's law so true so nidhi you were mentioning about some of the herbs also you know uh, right. that were misused and uh, people think okay this is something that i can take it forever like the panchakarma uh, live chat that we had we, we were demystifying some of the misunderstood concepts so what mm-hmm. are the common herbs that you see is misunderstood and how do you demystify that Right, absolutely. No, that's great. Uh, that's a great question. So, you know, some things become famous, some herbs, some practices become really prop- popular and trendy. And people start using them on a trial and error, error basis. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about some of those and see why they work and how they work and for who they work. Mm-hmm. Right. So one of the things, right. So when turmeric or, or haldi, mm-hmm. haridra became famous here in the U.S., then people also started procuring fresh turmeric mm-hmm. and you see people are trying to use fresh turmeric as much as possible in their foods what is not understood is fresh turmeric and dry turmeric powder work very differently mm-hmm. it's like fresh ginger and dry ginger fresh ginger can be very heating to your body dry ginger actually is a little bit moist as well as not too hot similarly fresh turmeric is really really hot for your body mm-hmm. when you use it you require to cook it in a great amount of a fat preferably ghee mm-hmm. also what people don't understand here is the concept of anupan mm-hmm. anupan is a carrier that directs your herbs at the speed and the destination that you wanted to go so it's literally like putting an address on your herb and choosing what speed do you want to post it into your body you know so it's choosing whether you want it overnighted you want it 3 day so whether you want to slow down the administration of the drug you want to speed it up what part of your body do you want to go and nourish with that herb mm-hmm. so people are completely missing these concepts which are very critical is what carrier you're going to consume your herb in what combination and how it is going to play an effect in your body so turmeric fresh turmeric is definitely one of those that gets abused a lot oh yes especially i mean if the woman uh, if a woman is taking it and if she is going through her menopause 
already there's going to be a i mean if she has a history of hot flashes and too much of sweating then it's a double trouble oh i don't even even think about how that could feel mm-hmm. it could even lead to an early period or it could you know lead to a lot of pimples and acne and mm-hmm. mouth ulcers even exactly yeah. and that's why some women say when they take turmeric it creates some painful or you know there is a lot of heat that they feel that is producing in the body absolutely i remember uh, dr vignesh my mom you know we cook fresh turmeric in the winter months mm-hmm. uh, when i used to go to rajasthan and the amount of ghee that's used to cook fresh turmeric i mean it makes it delicious too but it's literally this i feel like it's we're consuming ghee with a little bit of turmeric mm-hmm. with a fresh turmeric you know that's the combination so i would encourage people before they go and uh, and uh, adopt these herbs or try and use them for food purposes at least to find out how they're traditionally meant to be used uh, in uh, ayurveda see the ghee is a fantastic uh, enhancer at the same time a regulator that's why in order to balance the heat uh, it talks about using ghee along with that mm-hmm. many many uh, medicines if you see ghee is considered as a fantastic medium and also there is also another reason why they talk about ghee because our body is actually fat majority even though we say 80% or 70% is water when we talk about water what we are talking about is the uh, kapha that is a liquid medium which is also similar to the mucus or snigdha guna which is like something that is moist and sticky in nature if you take take the fat if you take the cholesterol it is all there so when you blend it with ghee the abs- the fat soluble absorption is so good for a turmeric absolutely and fuel is required to break down any exactly. fire in the world can sustain better with fuel your turmeric is literally it's so hot and it can sustain better not sharper it burns better and more uh, milder and longer once mm-hmm. it has a fuel and i think that ghee really serves as a fuel exactly so when people come and say i read that turmeric is a great anti inflammatory it really helps your body it improves your immunity i tell them take a pinch don't take like okay it's great so you can take how much ever you want it's uh, it has to be taken in a very limited dosage and it has its way so if all the listeners if you if you are have any access to good ayurvedic practitioner please consult them and take a good understanding how your body can uh, process this that's the message that we need to give in this i guess absolutely and also when you use fresh turmeric for food purposes be very careful with that oh yes i mean also the other issue is this is one product that is highly adulterated so mm. people have to really make sure that the brand from which they are buying they, they just need to make sure that how do they feel after they taking it so some people they take turmeric and they feel that nothing happened so that something is wrong with turmeric so you have to also do a, a background check for from from which company you are buying the turmeric so that's also another thing that i highly recommend to have to all the listeners to be more conscious where this turmeric is coming from and look at uh, all the nutritional not of i mean how this is being processed this is also very important absolutely absolutely and then there's another product right yes. in our markets uh, i mean unless there's something more about turmeric you want to add we can no 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 let's go to the next one i think we covered it so chavan prash right mm-hmm. now chavan prash right which is a uh, rasayan which is highly i know these days more recommended for immunity building i feel like that's another product which mm-hmm. people have not understood how to take well 
Firstly, Dr. Vignesh, there are so many Chavan Prash brands which do not have the authentic formula, mm-hmm. uh, which actually even use honey instead of sugar. Mm-hmm. And that is very damaging because it's the whole process has heat and mm-hmm. honey cannot be you know, heated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not only that, right, some of the herbs that are really supportive to life, you know, from a certain category called the Jivanya Gana, mm-hmm. which are not available widely, a lot of Chavan Prash brands are made without it. And then as you mentioned earlier, the wrong type of sugar, mm-hmm. the processed charred sugar is also used. But more than that, what I've also seen is now Chavan Prash, the main component of Chavan Prash is, um, is Amalaki. Yes. Right? Now Amalaki has five you know, five tastes, five rasas, but yes. it's still predominantly sour. Mm-hmm. And um, combining chavan prash with milk, right, which I think was popularized by a certain brand in India, because that's how you could increase the consumption of chavan prash. So it was more of a marketing gimmick. What I want to clarify is, I mean, at least, and I know there is maybe some debate in the Ayurveda world around this, but this is my understanding that uh, chavan prash right, which was originally created for a sage called Chavan during his time when he was taking the Chavan Prash in larger quantities, his diet during the day had to be of milk and rice Mm -hmm. because he was advised a good amount of quantity and because it has things like pippali, long pepper, which can be quite heating and some other substances, he was advised to take a cooling diet during the day. And of course, for him, the kind of dhatus that the kind of tissues that he needed to support. And in general, if you know, for example, even if you're having that long pepper, rasayani, the vardhaman pippali rasayan, you know, milk is a recommended uh, diet during the day when you're consuming things like that. So consuming chavan prash, a spoon of chavan prash with a glass of milk, in my mind, is not a recommended practice. So I would say two things. Get your chavan prash from the right source. Make sure there is no honey or processed sugar. And secondly, uh, consume it without the milk. Have your chavan prash, do your business, do whatever you want to do in the morning, and then you can come back for your breakfast and drink your milk. That's a very clear understanding how you put it. And the the idea of milk, see, Chavan Prash, uh, let's remove all the marketing gimmicks and let's just focus on how it is mentioned in the Ayurvedic textbooks. It is mentioned in the the second last chapter of Ashtanga Kridim where he's talking about Rasayanas. How, see, and Rasayana, the beauty of Ashtanga Kridim, if you look at the, uh, the... evolution of the disease that it starts with fever jwara and ends with vatarakta which is a uh, vatarakta it finishes and after that he talks about rasayana and rasayana is the word rasayana literally means to rejuvenate to make all your dadus in the best possible state and chavanaprash mm-hmm. is something that is to enhance and by the way in ayurveda there are two types of treatment a treatment that will remove the excess uh, stuff from your body at the same time the the treatment that will nourish you like santarpana mm. and apatarpana so oh i chavan, love that santarpana, not talked about enough yeah so santarpana is something to nourish your body but today what is happening is most of the people are suffering from diseases of overnourishment mm-hmm. and ancient times people were dying because of undernourishment and malnourishment 
And today, we don't worry about uh, lack of disease or famine. Or, uh, there are hardly any people that we read because they died because there was no food. Uh, you know, maybe we would see that there is hunger issues, but we rarely see people are dying because of no food. But today, people are dying. The biggest causes of diseases like heart attack, it's because of overnourishment. So mm -hmm. when you have this overnourishment and on top of that, when you add this, it is not actually giving them the right benefit. So in the ancient times, Savanaprash was given as a, one of the most powerful nourishing product. If you have a good digestion, and if you want to enhance your virility and also if you want to enhance your overall immunity. So today's world, when people are not having such a fantastic digestion, the Savanaprash along with milk is actually not helping them. Milk, in fact, I mean, uh, today one of the biggest uh, problems with all the dermatologists is milk is their biggest contributing factor for the patients. They drink milk and the patients are overloaded with so much of things and uh, the dermatologists have a huge run with that. Mm. And uh, add chavanaprash with milk, already chavanaprash is not so easy. I mean, it has fantastic group of drugs. The word jivaniya means something that is life-giving. And it, mm -hmm. the, the biggest ingredient is uh, amalaki, which is also part of trifala, which, will be, which we will come back to. And... Amalaki, it's also called as the Indian gooseberries, it's one of the most natural sources of vitamin C that we can get. And usually today, today, you know, we people take vitamin C as supplements, but there is a difference when you take vitamin C from Amalaki because the prana that you get from a natural source is different from when you go to a shop and which is stored there for three and six months and then when you take it. But, mm -hmm. and when you squeeze the juice of that, uh, and when you blend it with these and when you make it in that kanda shetka, which is a natural form of sugar, the preservation of vitamin C in a natural form or the prana of that is much higher than that which you can get it from a vitamin store. And that is why in ancient times, Savanaprash was considered as a boon for living longevity with great vitality. So I think, right, like you aptly said, we need to get rid of the milk part. And people need to understand this is not something for taste. This is something for an overall immunity enhancer. Absolutely. And unless you have the Agni, um, you can really suffer. And I've seen with children, some people who load the kids with Chavan Prash and uh, milk, there's so much toxic residue or ama. The kids get a fever and really dull kind of fever. And, you know, it's, it becomes a problem. And that's, I've actually seen, witness that. And see, in Ayurveda, uh, Rasayanas like Chavanaprash is something that is to be given after a purification of the body. So once you purify the body, the body's agni or the ability to digest will go up. Then when you have the Chavanaprash, that is when you, you know, you really make the most out of it. Then your body is ready for that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think that's what we are missing. We are, okay, Chavanaprash is good, so let's go and take it. But if your agni is not there, there's no point. Like we always say, you know, it's not what you eat, it's what you digest. Mm -hmm. So unless Absolutely. your digestion is enhanced, the, no matter how healthy and what you eat, it doesn't make the sense. Absolutely. And that's the biggest problem of the, you know, of the mm -hmm. day's generation that we're all putting raw materials in our body. But where is the machinery? The machinery is broken. You're just loading your system and having a backlog. But at least there could be, there could be some placebo effect that I'm taking something natural. <laughs> that's another <laughs> Yeah, whatever puts you to sleep at night is good. Exactly. So you want to move to Trifla now? Yes, yes. So you were talking about Trifla. And I, that's so you know, Dr. Vignesh? My favorite. I will come back to you after you finish. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, you always have the best insights. But I see here in the West, Dr. Vignesh, that everybody, even my clients are like, oh, why aren't you giving me Trifla? Can you put us on Trifla? What they don't understand is that the Trifla is a combination of three herbs. Amalaki, Bhivitaki, Haritaki. Two of these are very drying. Mm-hmm. They're extremely drying. So while Trifla can kind of go and scrape your insides and, you know, pull it downwards and give you that cleansing action, that's what it's doing. It's basically going inside because of that dryness. And it has, uh, it, it has a quality of scraping and a little bit of, taking it downwards so that you can have a bowel movement. That's a gentle cleansing that you can use when you need it. Certain kind of people to have trifla long-term is literally after it's scraped off, your food is going to go and scrape off your mucosal lining. And then all that powdered residue is going to go and stick to the insides and it's, it's going to be sitting there and you're going to be depleted of your mucus lining and the functioning of your gut and your colon is going to get affected. Mm-hmm. Even in my own practice, when I, if I recommend Trifla to people, I usually recommend Trifla with like a raisin tea with it mm-hmm. to moisten it, to support that Trifla. So yeah, my plea would again be that uh, to be very careful and discreet with what you're using. And these are not long-term magical usage uh, uses these herbs. Uh, Trifla is definitely not one of them. You want to be discreet with how you use it. That's a great approach. See, in my practice, what I see is people take uh, trifla uh, because I, uh, in my medical practice here in India, what I see is people take trifla as a great laxative. Uh, and w- when you are used to a laxative for a longer period, you are messing up the whole peristaltic movement of the body. And Going to toilet is something that has to be natural, just like the way you breathe. You don't need a support to breathe. Just It's the same with our bubble movements. And in Ayurveda, it is mentioned, you know, like in Dinacharya, after you get up in the morning, this bubble movements are something if it can happen naturally in the morning. And if you are using something, and be it a natural laxative or be it an artificial laxative or whatever, some people use coffee, some people need cigarettes, some people need newspaper. But whatever it is, but there are that's even worse, uh, like cigarette and coffee. But taking trifala on a longer term basis, some people say I've been taking it for the last two years. What happens is the gut becomes dried up because of the haritaki. Haritaki is a great laxative. It has a lot of fantastic cleansing properties. But when you're taking it for a long term use, anything that is habit forming is not healthy for the body. In Ayurveda, we say the purpose of taking a medicine is to stop taking medicine. But if they're taking it for such a longer period, then there is no way going back. They have to depend on that unless they go to a good place where they do panchakarma or they get into the hands of a good Ayurvedic doctor who gives them the right advice, counseling and change the whole lifestyle and the habits. They depend on this and later, if they don't have access to trifala, they have bloating issues, they have uh, gas formation and they feel a lot of uh, you know, heaviness in the lower abdomen. So a long-term use of trifala is definitely not recommended unless you are going to a proper Ayurvedic guidance and then you're taking it, you check your koshta, how your digestive power is. And then on top of that, when you take that, that is when you are able to get it. Usually in my advice, do not take it for more than three months. Have a pause period after that and then you can continue that. Yes, you will see it in many uh, advertisements and marketing it ha- it is a very good antioxidant 
it helps to get rid of many of the microbial load it improves your vitamin c because of the amlaki like we said in uh, seven pras all this is there but our basic ability is to get most of our nutrients and supplements from the nutrition that we take and once in a while when we take this this is fantastic but a long term use is definitely a no for me and when i tell them to change that and go into healthy nutrition and get into high fiber rich food and natural uh, proper food combination and then they see that they are feeling better and their bloating has reduced and they go to toilet also naturally so this is my experience with rupala yeah absolutely yeah use it as a cleanser not as something that's really going to trigger peristalsis for you yes and uh, see trifala which has multiple uses it's not something that you use it for internal use i mean we use it we prepare a decoction with that and use it for the eye wash and uh, if they have any itchy eyes and also in candida we use it for uh, douche purpose we get fantastic mm-hmm. results with that but at the same time this is not something you can do it at home please do it with a proper guidance because this can also create dryness after the cleansing we have to do it replace it with another place so that the dryness doesn't sustain so that's these are the aspects that we need to look into consideration absolutely absolutely and then the other one dr vignesh that really also gets misused is this concept of using honey with yeah. hot substances yes you know uh and that's a huge one right because mm-hmm. uh, luckily now even the western science has done some research which has kind of they've come to the same conclusion in some way that uh, you know heating honey releases a certain toxic chemical it kind of changes the whole composition of honey and it re- it releases something called hmf which uh, is not digestible by the human digestive system it's a compound mm-hmm. and that's basically exactly the mention in ayurvedic text that if you heat honey or put it in really warm substances uh, it's it's going to generate a slow toxic poison i mean charak even says it's going to be very fatal but you know generally the text mention that how it can be so toxic because it can create that residue which can sit in your system and uh, then kind of clog your digestion so yeah that use of honey with the hot substances is definitely one of those yes i mean in charaka it is mentioned the ama that can be produced with honey is the most dangerous one that you can have in the body so if you are not uh, using it see before the white sugar came uh, the, the first sweetener we humanity used was honey and that was a fantastic way to feel enlightened and the, see the word for sweet in sanskrit is called as madhu it means the word madhu literally means anything that gives you happiness so when you take that it gives you happiness and uh, what i see is okay now let us instead of taking white sugar let's use honey and they put it along with the tea and other things so i take it with tea so i am not having any issues but then i tell them it's because your digestion is good and you're only taking a little bit you're not taking the long effect but over time when you put a lot of honey with too much of heat fo- along combining it with a lot of hot food it can create see it's like you are making it something sticky which is and then it goes and becomes a cement inside that's what happens in the gut so avoiding honey with hot things it is highly recommended in ayurveda i think that's the point we are trying to explain here 
Yeah, basically, basically, because it's really going to create a compound which you cannot digest, then it's going to clog your channels and it's going to mix with your plasma, homogenize with your body tissue. And um, that's why that's a big one. Yes. And, you know, I mean, if we have one more to discuss, I would say yes. is enemas, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So Dr. Vignesh, I see that people out here use a lot of enemas. People think, oh, Ayurveda has bastis. Bastis is enemas, loosely translated to enemas. And um, basically coffee enemas, water enemas, hydrotherapy. It's so damaging because your colon, right, is basically... Uh, it needs that kind of mucosal lining to be protected. Mm -hmm. And when, he, when we talk about enemas in Ayurveda, bastis, whether it's a, a decoction basti or it's an oil basti, oil is the most important ingredient in that enema because what that oil does, it goes and lubricates that colon, which very well needs lubrication. But also oil has this kind of property. It is so grounding the concept is that it's going to pull wind. You know, if you have wind trapped in your joints, if you have wind trapped in your gut, even if you have wind trapped in your nervous system, like the visual I like to use is the genie's lamp. Mm. You know, what oil does is kind of whoosh, pushes that, takes all that wind and reroutes it downwards. And that presence of oil in the enema is critical for the enema to be a successful one at a warm temperature. when cool, cold uh, hydrotherapy enemas or coffee enemas are done, you're just going and blasting that region. And you're just doing a thorough cleanse, but in a way that let's say you're trying to clean your house with a power wash. It's such a power wash that even your furniture is being washed away. Hmm. All the paint off your walls is being washed away. Now you're left with more damage. You think, oh, all this, all this garbage from my house is gone, but literally everything else that you needed is also gone. So it's very damaging. I would really urge everybody to understand that Ayurvedic enemas are not the kind of, yes, they do cleanse you, but more than that, they nourish and tone those muscles down there and reroute all the wind in your body so it can be taken out from that route. The best way to understand, you know, some soaps, when you use it for your skin, some can create extreme dryness. And mm -hmm. you will feel like your body, it's like uh, doing, uh, uh, you know, uh, any kind of enemas without an oil is like using the washing powder or detergent powder that we use for laundry on your skin. But mm. if you want to use something for the, see, there are soaps, soaps are made from oil. So if it is not that drying, then we feel that the cleanse is also there, but at the same time, my skin is also protected. So the intestinal medium there, it is quite oily in nature. It's like a mucus. So anything that we put which is not oily in nature, it can damage that oiliness and it can create a lot of issues. And this is, in Ayurveda it is said, Vasti is the one that has the maximum possible of Vyapath, including death if it is not done properly. Mm. So it has to be done with so much of sacredness and we have to do a lot of pre-checks with the patient. The blood pressure has to be checked. We have to make sure that there are no hemorrhoids or fistula. And we also have to understand the willpower of the patient to undergo this. All of mm -hmm. this has to be understood. And in Ayurveda, there are more than 50 or 60 different types of enemas mentioned, along with the oil enema and the kashaya vastis that we're talking about. And enema is called as the king of all therapies. And the word mm -hmm. for one of the synonyms used for kashaya vasti, it is called as niruha vasti. The word niruha means 
that which is beyond your imagination. That is the benefit we get from a, a enema. Of course, enema is fantastic therapy, but it, it has to be done in its proper way and it has to be done on the proper person. If it is done on a wrong person, it can create a lot of trouble. That is why before doing an enema, we have to do a proper medical history check according to Ayurveda. And it is clearly mentioned in our Ayurvedic textbooks, who can do it, who cannot do it. And also the preparation of enema is also very important. And before we do the big enema, we have to prepare the person previous day itself by doing a shorter enema with oil so that that person is really prepared to eliminate all the toxins. And then again, we have to do a post-recovery enema with the oil so that it gets back to the normal oily medium. That is how we do it with the enemas when you go to a proper panchakarma clinic. And absolutely. In fact, I refrain from even calling bastis enemas, you know, because I feel like I don't want it to be lost in translation. So when somebody says enema, I said, oh, no, no, that's not an enema. This is a basti exactly. because it gets lost in translation. And, you know, I just want to mention that the, the scriptures, the texts have so clearly before every procedure, arha, anarha, an, an who is eligible for the treatment, who is not eligible for the treatment. Even a whole paragraph on what can go wrong. Exactly. You know, that's how careful it comes with a whole manual of disclaimers and eligibility. And we just have picked the one part in the middle of the, the procedure. We've mm -hmm. forgotten the eligibility and the disclaimers. And I think those are so important to have and understand before we go and adopt any of these practices. See, the, the position of the person is mentioned, what time it has to be given is mentioned. Oh, brilliant. And, and all of this is mentioned only when we follow all of this, the proper elimination of the toxins or the doshas is happening. So that's the beauty of Ayurveda when we follow it uh, as per the you know, proper instructions. It's really, yeah, it's such a, it's a very great science and it has no reading between the lines. Uh, you know, everything is very precise, especially when it comes to procedures. And when it comes to principles, there is a lot of room for the Ayurvedic practitioner to then play with the principles and expand on them. But when it comes to procedures, there is very little flexibility and that needs to be honored. Exactly. That was very interesting insight that we could give, you know, when there is a lot of noise that is limited to kitchari and turmeric. I think we yeah. will have a follow-up sessions with this with more uh, insights on how to demystify some of the misunderstandings of Ayurveda. So Niti, can, I, can you just give a short description for where people can reach you? Absolutely. So, you know, right now, at least in the virtual world, my Instagram, which is my underscore Ayurvedic underscore life is a good place to find me and my work. You can even find me on my website. I do prefer Instagram. That's more active. But my website is just nidhipandya.com. And yes, uh, that's where I post things on almost a daily basis, as well as I have a lot of live events. That's fantastic. And I love all the posts that you put. It's really insightful and really Thank true. You. And you research the original textbooks of Ayurveda and make it easy to understand. That's Thank fantastic. you so much. Thank you, Thank you, Nidhi, so much for being in my podcast. And to all the of listeners course. who are listening, please do subscribe and share. And I'm open to taking online virtual consultations. And you will find the details in the description of this podcast. Thank you all and have a beautiful time. Thank you, Dr. Vignesh. Thank you.